are listening to WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with a global soul. Um, Our theme music is a clip of Summer Nights by the Eric Jones Trio. It's provided by our friend Mark Chesanow, who plays with the Eric Jones Trio every Thursday and Sunday at Good Times Jazz Bar downtown. Hey, welcome to Arts on the Air. This is Tamara Garvey. I'm pleased to be here with Jennifer Matt. Watkins, welcome. Hello, how are you? I'm great, thank you. It's so good to have you here. We've never met before, so I'm excited. Yes. (laughs) I feel like my interviews, it's kind of a mix of people who I know very well or total strangers, so they both are fun in their own right. Um, So Jennifer, I'm gonna read, first to start us off, a bit of your bio from your website. So Jennifer Mack's work investigates societal conformities that isolate individuals to be confined to fit into a space. The space includes the complexities of being a woman, beauty images, relationships, body image, power, and gender roles. I love this. Um, so first to start out, so you were born in Charleston, right? Born in Charleston, South Carolina, born and raised. What brought you to Savannah originally? Wow, how'd I get, I've been so many places. Yeah. Know, so I think I would probably first off, it's like, I left Charleston after after um, high school, then I went to college at Morris Brown College, which is a historically black college university. And sh- that's in Atlanta, That's right? in Atlanta, okay. right? And then I had a chance to be able to take classes at the AUC, which is the Atlanta University Center, which is all the schools together within the cluster in the center of where the other schools are. Okay, are so located. that expanded your expanded, access to right. facilities. Definitely so. So I took classes at Spelman and Clark Atlanta University. Oh, and in my school as well, Morris Brown College. And um, I had a really great experience doing that because I got a chance to meet other um, artists, other students from other colleges, and yeah. I got a chance to have other professors that were just not the ones in my school, but I got a chance to take painting at Spelman. I took printmaking at Clark Atlanta University. Yeah. And I took art education and ceramics and other studio classes at Morris Brown. So each school has their different, you know, area that you'd their have focus. to- focus. Mm-hmm, that you would take. And, yeah. But I didn't major in studio arts. Uh, I, sorry, I did major in studio arts. Yeah, I didn't have, I didn't major like in painting or printmaking. So we took pretty much everything, sculpture, That's great. everything. Yeah. So it was a great experience. So after I finished Morris Brown, I went to Boston to go to grad school to get my master's in art education. Okay. But I, I was in the path of being an art teacher, and I still hold education dear to me, but just I don't want to be in the classroom anymore. Did you have a certain age that you were aiming that you wanted? No, to teach? I, I wanted to teach everybody and everyone. Okay. And I still do, you know, through my art and through workshops or whatever. And so basically, after I finished grad school at Tufts, then I went back to Atlanta. I taught for a little bit applied again because I want to get my master's in fine arts and printmaking okay. and then from there um, I got into a few schools but I chose to go uh, to Pratt in Brooklyn so I went to Brooklyn and I, I was there from like about 2007 to 2009 then 2010 uh, I met my husband um, Curtis Watkins and I met him and I moved from Brooklyn to Hoboken New Jersey okay and then I lived there um, from 2010 to about 2021 and then we moved oh. to Savannah. So that's how, okay. I, that's how I got here. So you're on your second year here in Savannah. <laughs> <laughs> Just second year. So you kind of, you've actually done a really similar thing to me of sort of bouncing back and forth between the South and like a big city in the Northeast. Cause I also have gone back and forth between Savannah and um, Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. So how, uh, how does it compare? I mean, so you were in Atlanta, and then you were in Boston, and then you were in New York. And how is it to be in Savannah? Are you like happy to have this kind of break in the pace of it? Or <laughs> I'm still adjusting every yeah. day. I'm always looking for like what's what's happening now, like where I gotta be, and like yeah. there's nowhere to be but the same routine every day. 
Um, and so I do, I do like the break and the pace and the slowness. Um, a lot of time, a lot of time to reflect and think to yourself. Yes. Um, and spend time with family. Um, but I do miss the busyness. But I feel like when I get that itch, I just try to find a way to go to a place that's a little bit more bustling and yeah. come back and respect the slowness and pace that Savannah has here. I, th- I feel like the the thing that I miss most about big cities is just the public transportation. I really would love to not have to drive anywhere. <laughs> I know. I, 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 I loved it. When I was working in Harlem teaching there um, at Harlem Children's Home, I worked there for about six years, but I loved taking the, the A train to the C train and then the PATH train and the, oh. you know. I you're from New Jersey, you had to take the actual was, train. Yeah, I took yeah. the actual train, you know. <laughs> And um, the bus to Times Square, and you decide which way you want to go from there. It's the center of where all the trains cross, and so yeah, I definitely that's where the buses that. from New Jersey come in, right? Yes, right there, Forty Second Street. Yeah, yep. <laughs> they recently—I don't know if you know—they recently expanded the dot bus, which is free, and so it still it comes out here, like out to Victory Avenue now, so you can get on a little free bus that like tools around in a rectangle around the city and I've done it and I love it <laughs> well I drive down here no dot, okay. for, no dot for me but for the dot passengers you just heard it from the camera that is expanded it, it has expanded yes so if you're missing that bus life then I'm not missing it that much I took it every day I'll just take a break for now it's rare to get anything for free I find so the fact that the, I mean especially coming from somewhere in New York where it's like you would never get any exactly. public like, transport and you always, for you're free always like okay what's, the, what's, like, what's the catch like why is this uh, free like where are you taking me how far I gotta walk from where I'm going, where I'm at now, yeah. right? Um, okay, so this, so what, at what point did you um, get into printmaking? Because your focus now is uh, sounds like woodblock and silkscreen. So in undergrad, where you were jumping around and you were testing all these different arts, where is that where you first came across printmaking? It would probably be high school. I went. Oh. I'm from Charleston, South Carolina, and so um, we used to have like you know like artists that would come in and work with us because I was I was like identified as a gifted and talented student. Um, like probably like in elementary school. So we'd have like, you know, summers where we'd go a week, but it wasn't until high school where we got introduced to a printmaker. He came to our, to yeah. our, our course for a, for a week. In that time, we built our portfolio to like continue to apply ourselves to other art classes in high school. So then I was introduced to monotypes. And so monotypes mm-hmm. is basically, you have a plexiglass and you have like an oil-based ink and you are adding, adding or subtracting the image away um, so that when you have the wet paper and you run it through the press, it makes and it makes like kind of like a a paint a painting print. Yeah, you, know, you get only a couple of them before they start to look very ghosty. Okay, but um, it's just just meant to just maybe rent a small one or two. And the color kind of gets fainter and fainter yeah. and you have to keep applying It's like it. an original painting and then you get a few prints out of it and that's yeah. it. Yeah, so I mean, I did that in high school. And so I hadn't carved anything, hadn't done any silk screening, but yeah. I like the fact that I can reproduce my own image and um, and I can change it just by a wipe or adding. And um, I yeah. like that. I like that a lot. So I think when I went to um, college, we, we didn't major in like a particular, you know, medium. So I took like printmaking one and I and I liked it I took printmaking two and I was like okay well that's pretty much stopped there and then I had independent oh. studies and I was like Clark Atlanta my professor was um professor Christopher Hickey and um and so I was like okay I want to take independent studies one and I said like, okay I want to do some more so basically I yeah. ended up taking independent studies two because there's only him and I like the school the program was so small that independent studies was just like you and a teacher you and that <laughs> maybe I, maybe another person <laughs> yeah but that made it really like so you chose that's when you could delve more into yeah, the printmaking. Yeah, so I, I, kind of, I continued to take in some type of printmaking every year that, until I graduated. Okay. You took, like, as much as possible, basically. Yeah, as yeah. yeah, much as possible. And I learned a lot, you know, along that way. And then by the time I went to, um, to grad school, 
um, I was still like, like when I was working in between like teaching, I still find a way to continue to educate myself. I think yeah. education is really important. They're not waiting for like a school, but like I would take things. I would take classes at like art centers or like oh, yeah, yeah. Um, like small contingent. Yeah, Atlanta College of Art was open during that time, so I would take classes there. And so I would just find ways to continue to learn technique. And yeah. so um, I continued to do, to do that even when I was in, in Boston learning to be an art teacher. I still took printmaking classes oh, you know, great. as electives. Yeah. You know. There's so many different types of printmaking, so too. And I feel like types. I would love to talk more about this because mm-hmm. especially for, for non-artists, and it, it, it seems like the most uh, like unusual and otherworldly and, and like the most people haven't been exposed to it. You know, like like you had it in high school even, but I think a lot of people could have gone even through college and not have experienced much printmaking. So I guess um, maybe the forms that people know of is like lino cut, mm-hmm. where you have this, uh, what would you call it, a block, and it's mm-hmm. kind of rubbery almost, mm-hmm. and you carve into it an image, and mm-hmm. then what you do is wood block. So is that carving as well, but into wood? It's carving into wood, but you, for me, I try to take some of the same uh, technical, uh, I guess, like techniques that I technical techniques I've yeah. taken some of the same techniques I learned with lino into to the wood yeah um but with Japanese woodblock it's fun because I'm able to take what I learned you know with like lino cutting and relief in the western tradition and then taking it and fusing it together with you know Japanese aesthetics and yeah taking away whole areas but leaving some um, so you're doing more carving, like more work with your hands because you're carving away a lot? They're both. They're both a lot of carving. But it's just I feel like when I was taught, you know, you leave a lot in the Western. Like you, you want to keep a lot of the texture there. Okay. Right? And you're not really taking out a lot of large areas. Like you're leaving it yeah. for it to, to show noise and texture. And, and, then, and so, yeah, what happens to the areas that you leave is going to have the color, it's the ink on it. It's going to be the color, yeah. right? And what you've taken away is going to be just the paper It's going to be the paper. But I feel like it's important to have that understanding in Japanese woodblock because you're layering blocks upon blocks and you want those open areas so you can continue to put in those colors. Like you, the same way you do with Western, but it's just, it's so much different because sometimes yeah. you might not want to have texture in a open area. Okay. Like know? it would be too busy looking? Mm, it'll be, I mean, it depends on, you know, what your own aesthetics is, but I think like just traditionally there's like, there's a balance, you know, I feel like yes. that's the difference, right? Yes. Yeah, so it's like, a real art to that. It's a, it's a, a big balance. Yeah. It's definitely a balance between like textures and open areas and solid areas. Yeah. And, um, you know, line work versus no line work, detail versus broad and thick. So yeah. all that really goes into any composition, but I feel like it's, you can't you can't go wrong by looking at a Japanese print because they got the balance to a T. Do you know this is this is interesting? I never realized that like so lino cut with the the rubbery softer blocks is more of a Western thing, and the wood block is Japanese. Do you know why that came to be? Like why in the Western? I don't know world where the lino. I don't lino? know where I don't know where lino came from. Okay, it's man-made, but wood is something that <laughs> it grows from a tree. Um, and I feel like when I just going to Japan um, in 2015. Um, and going again, I went in 2014. I went two years yeah. in a row, one for the conference, and I presented there. For just for, we have a whole community of, of Japanese woodblock printmakers who meet every three years, and um, we go different places. Sometimes Japan. We went to Hawaii one time. Wow. This time was virtual, but it was hybrid. Next yeah. next three years is going to be somewhere else in Japan, of course. But I feel like just the um, for me, what makes it more Western to me, you know, versus. Japanese is like more of the materials. Okay. I feel like in just my eyes, I feel like, you know, using natural wood. 
um you, you know it's not man-made you know yeah it's gonna behave a little bit different than a rubber surface yeah you see get the texture of the right. wood too right right and then you don't have to I mean, like some artists today who do Jack Blue Block decide to use a press. Some people decide to use oil-based inks. But for me, I like the fact that I have a choice. If I don't want to smell the oil-based ink, then I yeah. don't have to. So with Jack Blue Block, that's a really big there's options. big difference. Yeah, is that I use like watercolor or gouache or rice paste, right? Um, but some people choose to do oil-based. Yeah. But I feel like with Western, you can't use watercolor on vinyl. Oh, you have to use oil based, yeah. <laughs> oil based yeah. or water or water or water water soluble or you know, okay. water is washed off with water. Wait, so I'm curious about um so also for people who haven't done this type of art before, the cutting implements that you use for it are like you have a little handle and then it's this thing where the tip of it is metal and it's super sharp and I remember the few printmaking classes I've ever taken they're just the professors are very like, you gotta watch out when you're pushing this thing and keep your other hand out of the way and if your hand pushes through really hard and you jab something like you would literally mm-hmm. be stabbing something you can really hurt yourself exactly. so i'm trying to imagine carving into wood and it mm-hmm. seems very physically difficult is mm-hmm. there it's, i mean is the wood it's soft actually, it's or? actually much easier there's is different it? the cherry wood would be the hardest wood okay but i use shinna it's a softer wood um but i feel like the difference between i feel with even carving western versus japanese is that with the, with the western you're you're gouging out like yeah. you're taking away it almost looks like but then when i do japanese wood block it's more like with so much more finesse like you're mm. carefully thinking out you're not just gouging out air it's yeah like, but you're like you're you're planning out you're carving where you want to be and you're preparing that wood and then when you when you go to take the wood out it just comes out on its own there's no oh. force okay it's no force i mean i, I think so much <laughs> you have like cherry that's like you use a mallet it might be a little bit oh, harder wow but with the shinna i don't need a mallet you know i just need to know how to cut it at, at an angle so that when I go to it, it just pops it out because goes. I've already have told the wood where to oh. go, you know? I'm not familiar with this really <laughs> soft wood, but that sounds awesome. Yeah, it's weird. It's I love, I actually like cutting it. I like cutting this wood better than lino. Um, yeah. Lino is like, you have to heat it to get it soft and like either get the the battleship that's either gray or brown. Yeah. And it's just tough. And it's just, it's rubber. It's man-made. It is, yeah, and yeah. it's man-made. Do you usually do, um, so when you've prepared a wood, a wood block, do you do one color at a time over it, or would you paint different colors into it in one go and then press I think that? For me, I think it depends on, you know, if people want to have, you know, that different way it bleeds into, because you're dealing with watercolor, so it depends on aesthetically. Oh, uh, so it might bleed but around. For, but for me, I, I like it to stay in place, and so I'll do a color, like if I do red, and I'll come back to the next day, and I'll do okay. the next color. Um, but a lot of planning goes into that because either on your sketches you're planning out, okay, red's going to go here, yellow's going to go here. Or sometimes people go as far as like coloring each area, you know, and then that's really yeah. a lot of planning too. I usually don't do the full color, but I write down right. where I want the colors to go. And in between, it has to dry, the paper has to dry in between each time. So it's like a very, kind of a long process, the yeah, more colors you have. Definitely. So and the difference, I feel like even when you would like print a large edition of, of, um, of um, Lino or Relief, you know, uh, you can at least mix your colors up and you would close it up and contain air aluminum foil and yeah. save it for later. But for for Jackson's Woodblock, you have, you can have jars and all that stuff, but I feel like it's it's it's, it's liquid, right? And so I, a lot of time I spend writing down what colors I use to mix that color because oh. it's really harder to keep that color the same. Yeah. So if you're going to do that one color, you might as well just do that color all in one day. Wow. Because if you run low. Because you're going to have to recreate it. That, that brush can absorb that. If you might think you have enough and then you yeah. put that brush in there and that brush absorbs all that. Oh, that's the last bit of my red. Yeah. And you got to mix it again. Oh, my gosh. So. This sounds like, like, <laughs> it's like a science. It's very scientific. Yeah, we're an 
all these um, like tricks that you've come up with are born of having done it one way in the past and being like, oh mm-hmm. man, I got to come up with a way to fix that in the future. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I can go all day um, about that. But yeah. Yeah. and the and so and the technique also, I, I came across in my little research that it's moku hanga. Is that right? Mm-hmm. The name of the technique. Mm-hmm. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I. And also in the little research I came up with, they mentioned that the fame, like the famous woodblock image that people might know, is um, that the Great Wave by Hokusai, mm-hmm. which I love. Yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. And so basically, Hokusai, I got a chance to see those when I went to Japan. I got a chance to see some of the sketches. I got a chance to see his some of his woodblocks that were carved, oh. um, and some other prints that he did, and also drawings he did of people and animals. Like he just showed how he was able to animate just the littlest thing wow. to adults and just really study it. He studied everything. It wasn't anything that he didn't study. And I had a chance to be able to see that in, in person in Japan. I love it. Is there a particular um, museum that they have a lot of his Everywhere. Work? Yeah? <laughs> everywhere. Oh. Um, and then, you know, but I feel like, I don't remember what museum I went to when I was there, but um, I mean, like, Everyone knows that print. It's a very, very popular one. Yeah. Um, I have that as the background on my computer. <laughs> I love mm-hmm, that image. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so I'd like to talk a little bit about so the imagery in your work. Um, on your website, I saw you have um, one series that was called Housewives and one called No Pattern Necessary. Um, and the Housewives series, it looks the sort of traditional scenes like in magazine ads of women kind of working in the kitchen and doing housework. Um, but in your in your pieces there with black women and then in the no pattern necessary there's like the imagery of the 60s shift dresses and they're covered in patterns of hairstyles or lingerie um i don't know if you wanted to speak Mm -hmm. a little bit about your inspiration Mm -hmm. for those two series okay well i think with the house with the housewife series i think it'd have to start off with like when i got i got married i said wait i'm supposed to be in this kitchen doing stuff and like (laughs) what i'm supposed to do and so i really have a print that's on view right now um at the look exhibition at Sulphur it's called What to Do so I'm okay. like okay what do you do when you get in the kitchen you know what's the proper thing what's to do? What's to, what do you do first you know but I think a lot of that has something to do with like when I got married and like okay now I had to like make the kitchen the center of my home but I got a chance to witness that from my mom growing up in the south like the kitchen is the center of the home you yeah. know and so like that love you know what that you have in the kitchen is a love that is spread throughout a home and so I feel like you know the smells that you smell when, when a pecan pie or or chicken is cooking that like, yeah. you know you're home you know and like just like you know like the texture of the of the of the placements on the table like all that is showing part of the home and what's important in the center and the love in the home and so I feel like I wanted that to feel the thing the same feeling you would get you know in the kitchen that shows that something that you are loved when you step in and when you come to sit down and eat you're at the table eating this wonderful meal so I wanted to, act to yeah. feel like in those prints and then with the um, with the no pattern necessary, you know that's the piece that you're talking about with the hairstyles. My mom is a hairstylist too, awesome cook too. Still eat her food today. <laughs> She's here, Savannah. Hey, mom. Um, <laughs> and so like she had a hair salon for about 30 years, oh. and so um, she would do hair from the time the sun came up to the time wow. the sun came down. She had clients that come every two weeks, come early in the morning, the same time. You know, every good size, you can speed them up and get them out. You start one and you start, you don't just stay with one. Yeah. You start with one and you go to the next one, you wash that hair, that's drying. <laughs> so it's like a dance. That's like cooking also, where you have, to have a lot going at the same time. Definitely. So, so I think just like observing her, you know, working a l- number of clients at one time and how there isn't a pattern that we have to follow, you know, as women. We don't have to be a, a stay-at-home mom. We don't have to, you know, we don't have to work for anyone we can work for ourselves yeah. you know and so I feel like just that piece is, is a combination of like honor my mom and also feeling that we don't have to have a pattern that we have to be as women and I I really took the time to think about like 
hand drawing the different sizes because you know when you get a dress pen you choose what size and you cut on the dart yeah. but i just decided to use all three darts are there for different sizes oh. because there isn't a pattern that we have to follow yeah you know so that's kind of it almost that. sounds like so that second series almost sounds like a rebuttal or a response to the first because you said in the first series when you got married you felt like this pressure like suddenly you're quote a wife and so you're supposed to be in the kitchen which Mm -hmm. is like Mm -hmm. like a culturally imposed Mm -hmm. cage almost Mm -hmm. and in the second one you're saying there's no pattern for women exactly like that exactly exactly and so yes I think that's kind of like I try to use my own life or questions I have or things I experience and put in my artwork yeah and I love that you in both of them like in the first one where it's these very typically 60s like good housekeeping looking ads but it would always just be white women and it would be the same you know so I love that you're doing this <laughs> same scene but with black women it's, I think it's funny that you, that you picked that up because I felt like once I kept looking at these I was really drawn to like these those 1960s like life magazine and um I would occasionally it would be really hard to find Ebony's you know and Jet's really hard to find those oh. um but um but I would just was really like okay well where when I looked at the life magazine I love the, I love the spread how big they were but I'm like well why is it always like these white women so I started like just typing up and I'm like okay advertisements and I was like okay there gotta be another way I could find these ads and so I was like well I gotta make my own because yeah we we were in we have always been cooking for our families and why aren't why weren't those ads diverse back then yeah. you know and why is it that you know it's just the same kind of format that you have for every you know, I, I definitely wanted to kind of make it like um uh like a I try to think about like biases and stereotypes and history like how history thinks that you know that this is how it should be and um so I feel like I wanted to make a uh, contrast and so people will be like oh she's in the kitchen no it's her kitchen yeah she's not in someone else's kitchen and she's not the help oh like she's not, You're not yeah, the she's not <laughs> the cook, her the kitchen this is yeah. her kitchen yeah and she's great. not barring she's not coming in for the day to cook for you like she's yeah. not serving anyone but she's she is she is the center of her family right, right. her home yeah. just to clarify no I love that like <laughs> yeah. in that book and movie the help where women were like going to white women's houses to work for them and take care of their kids and then they went home and they had the same things to do with their own families we could think even further back than history into into, into uh this history of america and think about that as well yeah well i, I <laughs> love that in your work mm-hmm. were those um so those two uh series that you did was that for a particular show or anything or just that is an ongoing conversation i can come back to anytime so okay. i feel like i like to try to I don't like to, I, I start series and I'm like, oh, I can come back to that later and come back. So I feel like I always wanted to have like that open dialogue and like, I'm not just preparing for shows, but just the open dialogue of how I see the world. So I can come back and add more later, you know, but um, I like to have openness with the series. Yeah. And so you said you have one of those pieces that's on right now at Silver Studio. That people so what's it do? Okay, cool. <laughs> Um, I wanted to switch a little bit and talk about, you mentioned silkscreen a little bit, which is just another form of printmaking, right? Yes. Can you explain to people what silkscreening yeah. is? Okay, so I think it's almost like you can kind of see it as like a photographic method. I mean, it's different ways, but the way that I like to um, see it as like you have a screen and people most, most, most people think of it like t-shirts, like, you know, t-shirts on right. the screen, you print it, but I don't do t-shirts. I do works on paper, I say. But basically, you have a screen, and then you have images that are like a positive, um, like on the acetate, and it's burned with a photographic emotion chemical that's dried, and then you have a, 
uh, then you have exposure unit that burns the image the negative into it the burns screen, it onto the screen the screen yeah and then if you you wash it out and all the areas that are open that's where the ink is received and okay then you put this the ink on there you have the squeegee and you pull across each layer to yeah that's what people might have this image hole. in their head of like mm-hmm. the material and then on top of the screen and then somebody sitting there with like a squeegee running it mm-hmm. back and forth over it Definitely. yeah so that's what that is a very long level. process <laughs> to yep. make an image but it's fun but there's different <laughs> yeah. ways how you can how you can use the material you know and so people you know there's so many different ways how that's really advanced because i think when soap screening first started it was pretty smelly there was a lot of oil-based inks uh, yeah. you know and then eventually you know they they perfected the water-based inks. That's good. You still have some toxic, some some toxic, but not as bad as the oil-based yeah. inks. Yeah, I feel like in all started. art, it started with oil-based ink, and it's it's very it's very smelly, and it stains everything. And then the materials used to clean it up, like turpentine or white spirits, yeah. like that's very smelly oh, and very toxic and that, as and well. That, and that smell. I was this work study student at Pratt, and I was shop. I was assistant shopkeeper, and so. I had to fill up all those things. We were not in green shop. I'm sure they are now. Oh, yeah, but, yeah. Um, so you were just smelling We, we all had that. all the time. Like, the minute we'd come, i come up from break, I'd go, oh, it would just be overtaking. Because, you God. know, like, you know. <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. It would just be overtaking. Yeah. We had to take those rags and put them in this red can and make sure, you, you know, nothing explodes. Yeah, and everything <laughs> is like a fire hazard. Like, it could just combust. Yeah. I feel like most people don't think about that a lot and of art materials are. Even, even the ink on the hands, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know? so I feel yeah, it like, gets on your hands and it's very hard. It, like, it's your, for, there for ages or you're, like, rinsing it off with white spirits and being like, what am exactly. I putting into right. myself? Why put on your skin? Right? And so yeah. I think any, a lot of printmaking, um, you know, have really evolved, but a lot of it did does have chemicals and some toxic, toxic smell. But that's why I love... That's why I decided to learn Japanese woodblock because I said, like, if I'm going to have kids, I have to be able to do this in my home. And so yeah. I, I decided to, like, figure out ways of how I could, like, you know, do it in my home without having to smell oil-based or yeah. clean with white spirits on my hand. So the Japanese woodblock, it's it's easier to use it's, water-based it's easy, materials. It's, all, it's water-based. I use water-based. And yeah. so, um, you know, I just make sure my colors are still sealed in glass containers. I don't have anything openly yeah, you know, yeah. flying around, hopefully not too much. But Where do you yeah. find, so you mentioned in the silk screening process, you need an uh, like like an enlarger or something to burn expose, the, expo- uh, like exposure yeah to, unit. to burn the exposure from you said like the acetate sheet onto the screen mm-hmm. so where do you find that machine to do that Usually, you know I, I, I have one my, I have myself now oh, okay but okay. Um, schools have them okay <laughs> or you buy yourself or sometimes people do it with like old school they go outside at light you know wow but this would not be a good day because it's overcast you need a real bright day it's like a whole time a whole day probably <laughs> to burn it right but some people use like lights floodlights and they just hold it oh. or sometimes they can put the light directly on it and just like you know that takes a longer process it's very but, diy yeah very yeah. diy um but i have i have a unit and so um it's uv oh, light cool. and it's faster than a, a regular exposure wow. unit so like just can, think of it like like photographic yeah can, i mean is it the same type of m- machine that you would use just to make like a film photo is it that it, the, it's like they're like strips of light um, but the LED lights are like candle lights, and then like the other um, ones that are, um, they have like strips of light that you can see in the, in the, um, wow. in the ceiling. It's called track know. light, like track lighting. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> That's mm-hmm. cool that you have that machine. Um, I want to come see your studio at some point because it sounds like you're this mad scientist with your little <laughs> jars of things around in your machinery. Jars and jars of colors. <laughs> How do you, so if you're um, going to do a new piece and you, like, is there a way that you decide? early on whether you want to do it woodblock versus silk skirt like are they better for different types of imagery that you're doing yeah I think for me I think it depends on the size and how well, if I want wood texture or how big I want to go 
because um, the wood can get kind of expensive, you know, depending to on do the size. Big. Yeah. But if I want to go bigger, then I'll, I'll go bigger and do silkscreen. The silkscreen? Yeah. How big can your machine do? Um, well, this one is about 23 by 31, but when I was oh. in New York, um, they, they would have large, large screens. Yeah. Large, large units. So I could print any. I used to print even bigger than 20. Yeah. 23 by 31 is small for me, but I used to get screen is about almost as tall as me that's the thing to miss about being in school is just the access to facilities like that right too but even after i graduated i was renting at lower east side print shops i would rent per month and i'd have a space to keep my screens and i had a drawer to keep my papers like life after grad school yeah you know and then i had had a spot for my for my supplies and so yeah it's a taste of the art world i think everybody should try to you know do a shared space after grad school because you do miss the access to supplies yeah the material and <laughs> yeah. i guess just the and it becomes really real artists. really real when you have to when you have to you know buy those supplies yourself and it find does it does <laughs> and then then but then also cuts out access for people right yeah and so i feel like that's one of the hardest parts about being in savannah because there isn't a, a community print shop that is here yeah. that's accessible and so then it kind of makes it more of an inclusive medium because yes you know so i think i'm trying to figure out ways of how to make that yeah, that's great. I mean, this is a perfect, I want to talk to you more about this. And we were going to take a break anyway. So when we come back, we'll talk about, I guess, Savannah versus Boston and New York as far as access for printmaking. So thank you very much. I'm here with Jennifer Mack Watkins, and we will be right back. You are listening to WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with a global soul. Trees are one of Chatham County's most treasured natural resources. Beyond their beauty and cultural significance, the impact of trees are far-reaching and compounding, spanning from economic benefits to health improvements to climate change resilience. Trees are woven into every aspect of our lives. Savannah Tree Foundation protects and grows Chatham County's urban forest through tree planting, community engagement, and advocacy. More information is available at savannatree.org. This portion of WRUU's programming is brought to you by listeners and by Brighter Day Natural Foods. Brighter Day Natural Foods has been serving Savannah's healthy food and supplement needs since 1978. It is located at the corner of Bull Street and Park Avenue. They have online ordering and curbside delivery available. And now a walk-up window for smoothies, juices, and sandwiches from the deli. They are open from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. Monday through Saturday and 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Sunday. More information can be found at brighterdayfoods.com. What does it mean when we say that WRUU is a community radio station? It doesn't just mean that we invite the community to create programming. And it doesn't just mean that we're a voice for the community. It also means that we're counting on the community to keep us going. And you are the community. Almost all of our modest budget comes from small annual or monthly donations from listeners like you. You get to enjoy our community-focused programming because many others have stepped forward to do their part. Now do your part by joining our community of listener donors. Go to wruu.org right now and make a one-time or monthly donation. And thank you for supporting Savannah's community radio station, 107.5 F. Hey, welcome back to Arts on the Air. This is Tamara Garvey, and I'm speaking with Jennifer Mack Watkins. Welcome back. 
Hey. <laughs> so we were talking about her um, her printmaking work and that she does uh, silkscreen and woodblock print. And I think before the break, we were just talking about the differences between um, where she went to school, which was Atlanta and Boston and New York, and now being in Savannah as a working artist and just the differences in um, access for like shared printmaking facilities and how interesting it is to be in school and just have built in like community and all the equipment and then once you get out and you are just on your own doing it and how hard that is definitely yeah. definitely uh that's a lot of trueness to that yeah <laughs> and uh, i guess printmaking in particular is like you know maybe you need a lot of space you like like you said you need a big sink because it's kind of messy and there's particular equipment um what are the types of equipment that you think would be useful to like have in a shared facility mm. Like in a print shop? If you had your dream print shop, wow. what kind of, what mm. kind of facility would Con- Is it like different corners for different types of printmaking? Well, definitely different centers that you put in place for different parts of the process of the printmaking um, you know, process. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so basically, I would see my ideal dream space would be like concrete floors because you don't have to worry about like getting things messy yeah. and messed up. Yeah. Um, in a place to like, um, like, like painted white chipboard where you can like put pin up works as you work on oh, it to okay. kind of see as everything comes together things need a lot of drawing time too yeah right? drawing space. time yeah. but you, uh, well drawing time i would not pin them up but i would i would get a drawing rack okay um, so i i would you like drawing to have a, a drawing rack <laughs> you know maybe like 30 50 stacks i can just flip them up and put them in there um drawing rack of course and then um nice sound system oh. i think music is important <laughs> um and then uh refrigerator <laughs> and then also like different areas where you have a paper place where you can cut down your paper oh yeah and then a place to like um print because you want to be printing idealistically it's a lot of flat surfaces yeah it's a lot of flat surfaces um okay good lighting um yeah and then uh i guess like a exposed unit of course and a washout sink that's okay. a good size yeah with a filtration system a big messy sink yeah a big messy sink that with, with a great filtration system um but i think that would be yeah that would be ideal i love just the, yeah, imagining <laughs> what <laughs> the ideal space is yeah like, so we're, we're putting it out there maybe it'll be like it'd be about this size okay <laughs> this we are so we're in the we're in the back courtyard of um culturist union and they have a lovely back space come on by a great lavender <laughs> iced tea <laughs> Um, yeah, it's interesting. I was talking, there was somebody else about um, how in Savannah there's a couple of different like clay communities where there's shared spaces because they also have a need for big equipment that you mm-hmm. need to like share the cost of, you know, mm-hmm. the kilns and the wheels and all that. And that, that for some reason there hasn't been a shared print shop in Savannah. So I think yep. as time goes on and we get yep. more and more in the art scene, this would exactly. be an amazing So if thing. anyone's interested, um, reach out. Let's see. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I wanted to talk a little bit about, I saw on your website, um, you've been in some really, you've been in some really interesting sounding um, locations for exhibitions and then your work being held in permanent collections. Um, it looks like in 2017, you were in a show called the Whitney Houston Biennial. <laughs> that was a I'm lot of fun. About, what is that? Wow. Purely woman empowerment, like Christine Finley, I believe. And so she would have these biennials, usually around the time of the Whitney Biennial. Yeah. And so it was, was kind of like an interesting title that she took that time to really capitalize on that time. That's really funny. I remember the, 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 the most current one that I did that particular show, um, it was a year after I had my daughter. And it was probably one of the biggest shows that I had been to after I had her. So it was really monumental for me in many parts to be in a in a show fully by women and for women. Yeah. Um, well, not for, it's for everyone. But it was the idea and only women were in this show. Yeah. And so... Um, was this in New York? It was in New York. Okay. Uh, like, not too far from, like, 
Little Italy and um Oh that's cool to be in Chinatown. Manhattan. It was in Manhattan. It'd be really hard to put things yeah. on in Manhattan. Yeah, not too far from Broom Street and so I was kinda like the Chasma something building or something like that. Anyway, it was like people were like lined outside the door trying to wow. get in. I remember it was like rose flowers on the ground and stuff and like red carpet when you walk in. Wow. It was like it was really, really cool. nice. Any way that Whitney would have it. Like why not have rose petals <laughs> and red carpet on the ground for Whitney? That's, right. What a great event. Yeah, but it was it was awesome. But I feel like we had to pick someone who was like a Whitney to us. Oh. And so um so I chose Janelle Monet and I had like another image, um, the black black Mar- black Maryland of like it was like a celebrity and I made her hair really like really with, with I drew it, it was a soap screen, so I could see the mm-hmm. lines of the hair. So I had two portraits in there, a painting and a soap screen wow. I put in there. And I think another Another two two soap screens. Did you ever like reach out to Janelle Monet or tag her or anything to show? Yeah, probably, her I might have tagged her or something like that, but <laughs> she, I didn't reach out to her. But she's like my Whitney Houston. But it was a really great because I I don't even I don't even know. I think Christine had reached out to me mm. and invited artists, and then I was like sure. And then it was just it was great. I think I might have great two times. Yeah, it was really awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I saw on your website also that your work has appeared in really prominent places. I'm going to name them. This is amazing. The Library of Congress, the Met. Um, and the Smithsonian Museum of African American History. How did these come about? That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Well, I think well the three that you had just mentioned. Well, the, I go with the last one. You said the um, Smithsonian, the Smithsonian yeah. right? And so I was part of a. Uh, I do like a lot of collaborative projects, whether it be literary or print portfolios. And so with those, I think there is power in doing things in by yourself, but also in groups mm-hmm. and finding people who are like mind. And people who might not see the medium, but they come together with a common vision to share their work in an accessible way. Um, and basically with print portfolios, um, in particular for that one. And then um, I think I did some other ones with the Met, right? And so that's Black Women of Print. Okay. That was, you know, we were start up, we were a collective, and that we said we wanted to make a portfolio, founded by Tanikia Word. And so we had a theme. So sometimes there are themes with them. But I think the fact that when you could put so many works of art into one box, and then, you know, that can be sold to, like, different institutions, and that's yeah. a way to, like, you know. So you were in a collective, and then mm-hmm. you all had a bunch of work together, and you, like, pitched to the Met, or for that, did a for proposal? The, or? Yeah, I'm sure Tinikia sent a proposal to different institutions yeah. and see who was interested, and that's how that worked for that. Wow, so they, so they got back to you, and they were like, yes, we would like to show these at the Met. I think I don't know all the process I just know that we had to make it and she handled all the admin stuff and we made the work and and everything was organized together for that particular for the Met but for the Smithsonian I was part of um, Rush Arts Philanthropic Organization by Danny Simmons and um, so basically that was like the 21st um, anniversary and so every couple years they would make a portfolio they made one now um, but then basically that was sold to institutions as well. Okay. So, yeah, so that's kind of how it works. But I feel like doing group uh, projects are really important. And then also I'm in like a literary project called The Womb of Violet. We did two issues, Rizograph printed books. And um, they what, have... What is it? Rizograph is like a um, form of printing where you have... It's on a... The color is on a, on a drum. And like it's rolled through like old school. Oh. And you put each color at a time. You put the cyan in, you take it out, you put the yellow in, and you run oh. on top in layers. And we made, and that was made into a book. They took our art, scanned it, and did a risograph. And that's in the Mets library as wow. well. So I, I like to see it. I like to see my art in different ways, whether it be a print portfolio, yeah. risograph, and then seeing how it can transform. Because that was an interesting project to work on because I did it as a paper cut. And then it came out as a risograph print. With risograph, risograph prints, it's like dust come off the drum, mm. 
and um, it's like really pixelated and so okay. it kind of breaks the image down to like small pixelated images yeah. to make a whole because you're doing layer on layer drum at a time taking it out and putting it in and running it again so there's a lot of texture yeah I like it's interesting to think of that look where in the finished image that there's just a lot of you know it's so different from like looking at some kind of digital art that was created on a computer printed out but the the evidence of like the machine and the texture of the physical thing and the fact mm-hmm. that somebody had to run it around multiple times so mm-hmm. it's like this evidence mm-hmm. of a lot of handwork into mm-hmm. it definitely so I like how those products can be different based on the vision of each person who organized it and yeah that was an interesting um this is awesome as a met but I think with that project in particular that summer in 2019 I was pregnant with my son and I was like wait I don't know if I should go it's hot out here I said I can have a baby in Martha's Vineyard but we went out there and we presented our presentation at a, um, like a, at a black arts event called The Convening. And that was a really great experience because mm-hmm. we were able to take this idea and we, we made the book second edition. And there was, like, I was like on there with like photographers and poets and writers, prolific writers. Wow. And we had people who would speak, at, speak in the spoken word and the art was there. We, we each had a chance to speak. And I think it's always the beautiful thing when you can take everyone's strengths and you put it together for a final project. And I enjoy those type of things. That's incredible. Were these, um, so these groups that you were in, did you make all these connections from going to grad school at Pratt? Or? Just being in, in supporting. <laughs> Some of our invitations, you know, that, you know, everyone, you know, like, it's, social media is small, you know. Yeah. It's, it's big but small, and you, you know who is out there doing things. And so I feel like from going to shows and supporting other people um, and being in shows, like, particularly that um, one from Martha's Vineyard in the literary book, that was from Newark. So all the artists were pretty much from, photographers and writers were from Newark. I would, so a lot of time I was on the board of the print shop there at one point. I go to art shows, I have works in shows. Yeah. Um, but Black Women in Print, that was all virtual. I never, I never really met many of them. Mm-hmm. I met a few, but most of us were just virtual, in this virtual space through emails and just yeah. coordinating how we're gonna impact the world by including Black Women in Print. Um, but I feel like, um, and then the Rush Arts, I was in shows with them. And then I was invited. Usually it's invitations. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not an open call. So it's just like, it's like putting in the time for like seeking out putting groups in the work, and networking. Putting and, in the work. Yeah. And putting in the work and, 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 um, and just continuing to work yeah. as an individual. And like though. you mentioned, like you going to shows and supporting people by like putting yourself there and and standing up for them and then kind of get and if there is back, an open yeah. call then you you respond you know you look yeah. at their credentials and say okay maybe i respond this open call Are you inviting me or like okay who else is in the show so a lot of those things i look at yeah decide yeah. what i'm going to do that's cool i feel like the pe- i mean the people usually to make it really successful in the art world is like you have to kind of really be a go-getter and put yourself out there and seek out opportunities and, and it's hard work that hard work it takes a lot it's of years, hard work yeah. and a lot of years and just time sweat what year was it that you graduated from grad school? In 2009 from Pratt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I continued, even when so I was yeah, teaching. It takes years. It takes years, and I think what made what helped me to gain momentum, I feel like I didn't, I didn't stop when I was teaching. Like, a lot of things people teach and stop, whether they be a college professor or K-12, like, people stop the art practice. But I yeah. continued, but I also used that to my advantage by showing my students, whether I taught K-12 or college, whatever I, I'm teaching, that, you know, I can be a, a model for, like, you know, what it takes. Yeah. I'm not a role model, but, I mean, I can say, okay, it is possible to do more than one thing. Yeah, demonstrating you know? that. Yeah, so. Did you, when you started teaching, did you intend that that's what you were just going to do full-time for indefinitely? Or did you intend that you wanted to be, a like, a studio artist, really? Mm-hmm. 
I think I wanted to be both because I think in high school I had a really great art teacher and she was both. Like she was a, okay. a ceramicist, like really well known in Charleston, Betty Mueller Romer. And she also taught my brother too, so we know we were you know we had the same art teacher and he's an artist too, Eric Mack. He's in Atlanta and my little brother is Michael Mack and he's here in Savannah at SCAD. And so basically like we all went to the same high school and both of us had the same teacher. But I feel like she was a professional ceramic artist and she was an awesome art teacher. So I think yeah. just having that model in front of me, um, I think that would really influence me to, to do it. And, yeah. I, and I feel like even when high school, when I started high school, I said, oh, you know, I want to be an art teacher, you know, and um, I wanted to continue to take extra classes. And I, that summer I took that printmaking class at the end of my portfolio and I got, I got denied for AP art. I was like, wait, I took art one and two. I did a portfolio and I still get denied. And that was like really difficult for me. That was like my um, my senior year. So I had to like really figure out what I was gonna do quickly. Yeah. Cause I, the track I thought I was gonna do of being an artist changed. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well I like kids. And you know, a lot of people in my family are educators, aunts, aunts, aunts and uncles, principals and all that. So I said, let me just try to combine art and education so yeah. then I decided to take um, teaching classes in, college, in, in high school uh, so I, took, okay. I learned how to do lesson so plans I sent to the lot I did yearbook I wrote about the people who were in the class where I wanted to be to see what they were doing but then also take photographs and yeah. write about art you know in different ways and so I find ways to still be involved but I really missed that time and experience but for that year I didn't have access to art classes my senior year so it was very traumatic for me and I felt yeah. like I didn't want that feeling for anyone else and I didn't feel like who am I to judge the, that that person isn't ready? If they're not ready, then how do I get them ready? So from that time on, I decided I wanted to be art teacher. I want I didn't want to oh, deny yeah. access for anyone who had potential. Yeah. So we're also, I mean, just the idea of to be that young and like for you know somebody judging portfolios or whatever and saying no, you can't be in this AP art class and like that could have been a thing that had shut the door for you forever. Like maybe mm-hmm. if you hadn't been so tenacious, you would have been like, well, I guess I'm not a good artist, <laughs> and then you would have never continued on. Exactly. Think but how many people but have that, that? But that helped. That I mean, with that experience that pushed me to make sure that didn't happen for anyone yeah, else. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, so I think one day it's going to come back. I'm going to find out how to use that to my advantage for other people to just have access to classes. Did you ever sort of find out why you didn't get into that art class? There was no explanation. I mean, back, I mean, back, you know, yeah. even when you don't get into school now, you don't, you know, I don't think they tell yeah. you why you don't get in, but I feel like it was a full circle for me because just recently um, that person did just comment on social media oh you're doing great you know the, and the teacher of that class <laughs> yeah wow she, we, we're still in contact and wow. it, it was it was years ago when she had facebook me and she said i apologize for not seeing it in you you're wow. awesome artist you're awesome and i think that was closure for me for many years and um so things can can change you know if you continue to work and don't stop you know that's kind of incredible that you i mean that, so you were facebook friends with this teacher from your high school mm-hmm. who you didn't Mm-hmm. Take an AP art class. It's kind of interesting that you're Facebook <laughs> friends with her anyway. But that's she. She probably found. She probably found me. Oh, did she? Say, I okay, know, I don't think I was looking for her. <laughs> so she came across your name and like remembered your name as this person who she had denied from AP art class. <laughs> that's very interesting. I might even gone back to school to give a visit, and then maybe that yeah, was kind of and maybe passed. she thought of it. Yeah. So I don't know. That's mm-hmm. fascinating. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, she just commented last week. But um, shout out wow. to that teacher. I will not say her name. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I, pre- I think that's very cool that she took the effort of reaching out to and I'm sure like you said um it spurred something in you for teaching and not wanting and like making sure that you weren't shutting the doors and students faces when they're that young and Mm -hmm. still figuring things out so the fact that she you also got 
notification from her, I think, is a kind of amazing full circle thing. <laughs> Def- definitely so. So that's why I kind of, I struggle a lot between like, okay, well, how educational do I want to do? And like, I want to be able to be a professional artist and be able to do both. And that's why I think I like what I'm doing now because I can, if I want to do a workshop for kids, if I want to just do a demonstration, if I want to do art talk, like I can do so many different things because I have that drive to provide access for people. Yeah. At the last um, conference I did in Ohio, it was a Mid-America Print Council. And that was really monumental to me because I didn't know how many people were going to come, you know, to them. I just demonstrated. I, for the first time, I yeah. didn't have to, like, do any PowerPoint. I didn't have to do a presentation. You didn't have to talk a lot, yeah. And I had to talk a lot. I just had to demonstrate. And I was yeah. like, I can really focus on the art of Michael Hunga. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And the room was filled with people. And at the end, people were clapping. And oh. I, had, I had, like, the um, overhead TV. I, 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 really, I wanted the overhead TV. I wanted the mic. Everything I asked for, yeah. you know, I, I had. So you could have a video of yourself later. Yeah, kind of. I didn't. I got clips and stuff, but the overhead was more for overhead camera live oh, for so the moment, they so they could see, see my hands. Doing. Yeah, I think that's really important. So everywhere I go, I always, I always had that. And um, I also, um, I was on the on the committee for diversity, so I said make sure we make sure we think about people who might be hearing impaired. Oh. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but people who might need assistance in, in sign language interpreters. And so they were they were there they were there because we you know we found out that there was somebody that was there, but it was the first time doing a demonstration with a sign language interpreter. Wow. So I was like, wow, this is like okay, <laughs> it's I made, very professional. Well, yeah. I made, so I make sure everyone has access, you know. <laughs> so um, so I think that was really a big moment. I was like maybe about about a month ago or so okay i'm um, in, in ohio akron ohio in, in that was akron, a really ohio. good experience you're really getting around the country Trying. around the world yeah akron yeah. <laughs> japan hawaii akron yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i know okay so by the time that this uh the show happens it will be past year so tomorrow you're doing a workshop at sulfur so unfortunately mm-hmm. this is broadcasting after your workshop yes, but yes. do you want to give a little just it sounds like you really enjoyed doing workshops so hopefully we'll see you around mm-hmm. town doing more in the future and the one tomorrow is about it's like developing your uh, professional artist persona well, practice outside practice. the studio yeah um personas i don't know about personas <laughs> <laughs> that's not my thing but um just be you but i feel like just getting comfortable with being able to take your skills and your tools and being able to operate anywhere yeah. anytime any place for however long that is um i think i think that's kind of what i want the workshop to be about and just my journey you know all the different collaborations i've done yeah um when you step outside the studio you can stay in the studio if you want to but then you're missing opportunities to connect and partner and collaborate with people yeah and so just how do you do that and where do you see yourself and what does your art say to you what is your um what's your favorite and least favorite aspect of being a printmaker mm, having a, a ac- having access to a space yeah that's yeah. the part i don't like i'm making a space now but ideal space will come in the future but just a bigger a bigger space yeah um just the it, fact that it's not a thing where you just have like a paintbrush and a piece of paper right. and yeah and, that you it, need more exactly just i just like i feel like i have everything i need with just a space and just like um the camaraderie camaraderie yeah right and just i like being around other printmakers like that's the part i miss about being in new york like i met so many artists you know like you're not talking full conversations but in between a snack break or in between someone might be waiting for something to dry hey how you, how's it going what you working on yeah. like i'm working on this just and then like the, the print shops would have classes so i would take classes there and that's how i learned my kohunga because if you remember renting then you get a discount to take classes mm. at discount so to pay but it'd be like six week sessions and that's how i learned my kohunga yeah and i take i took april bomber who was my teacher she wrote a book about it as well um, I took a class six times when I was wow. when, when I was running there. You really connected with I her. Really, I'm, we still talk all the time, and she's like, she was. I just saw her when I went 
doing the International Print Fair in New York. She sat right in the front row when I was doing my panel. So she's like, <laughs> you know, she's she's. I love all these different conferences and talks that you do. This is really inspiring. I've never really thought to join different sort of national groups like this, but this is very cool that you do this. I it, love it. It feels scho- it feels scholarly. Like people it just think as an artist, a messy artist, scholarly. but no, we yeah. can we actually can put our thoughts together and we can present. We can we can display our work and also we can. Uh, you know, explain ourselves, you know, talking with little imagery, you know, if you really yeah. connect with Pictures work. worth a thousand exactly. words and all. Exactly. No, as you're talking, it is very scholarly. That's a great word for it. And I, I mean, as a full-time artist, it's literally never occurred to me to try to mm-hmm. <laughs> go to a conference or anything like that. You I should, just think of it you for people go. with academic jobs. Yeah, and it's funny because I don't even know, like, is there a painting conference? Like, maybe there is. Like, I think there are some very know, specific, there's, there's like, I don't know. You could be like, like, still life painting group or like mm. in plein air painting group. Like, there's kind of specific but aspects conferences, of it. Conferences, though, like, big, though. Big yeah. conferences. Are that exists? I will look into it and I will let you know. Okay, I'm going to do some know. research. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about, so I think recently you've come up with, uh, you, you delved into a new realm and you did a children's book. Yeah. How did this come about? How did you. How this opportunity come to you? Yeah, so I feel like they found me on um, on social media. The um, publisher or the, the writer? Pub- the publisher, okay. Kakila Penguin Random House, and so they came. They came to me in the email. First, when I got the email, I was like, mm, "This must be a scam." Like you know, you hear all these little emails. So it's a know. big New York publishing. It was house. a big yeah. So I was like, Wait, let me see if this is. So I checked the website to see if the names are really there. I was like, okay, this is legit. There, this is real people. This is a real email. I said, I guess they're looking for me. And then we had a Zoom conversation. And then, um, then from there, I was like, well, you know, how did you find me? Like, well, I guess people research, and it's not the first time people have researched and found me. Yeah. And so then from there, it's like we wanted to, we had this manuscript about this um, self-taught artist and barber and named Elijah Pierce, and he was a wood carver. And so we figured oh. since you carve wood, then Amazing. we want you to do it too. And I was like, well, I don't know who this who Elijah Pierce is, and so I had to like research on my own. Yeah. Figure who he was and why was he important, and um. Uh, around COVID, when COVID first started in that fall, they had a big show at the Barnes Foundation in Philadelphia. I couldn't get there, but I bought the book, and that book was the, was the closest thing I could can um can use to understand what his work looked like okay. versus the um you know the, the internet. And is is he passed away or is he still? Alive? Uh, he passed away. He okay. he was like living like in eighteen ninety two, oh. and he died like in the mid eighties or so. So his idea was it to do this long children's book about him. Yeah, it's I a whole this. book about him. Wow. So like basically, the, um, there was two authors for that book, and um, and I, I met them for the first time this summer. And one of the authors, she had written a number of books. And the other author, she wrote playwrights. She wrote a play about Elijah Pierce. Oh, Ohio. wow. That's how they made that connection. Amazing. So it was a great yeah. project to work on because I got a chance to know more about him. I researched him. I ended up finding out that there were films that was produced um, in the 1970s. And I ended up contacting the two film directors who I emailed today. Oh, no way. And so they gave me, like, photographs that they had from wow. d- developed like years ago before yeah. I was born. So you have so much reference material. I had a lot now. of reference material because I wanted the barbershop to look like the 70s but also look like what the shop would have looked like. So what but is the title of the book? You Gotta Meet Mr. Pierce. You Gotta Meet Mr. Pierce. Yeah. Has it come out yet? It's coming out January 2023. Okay. January 31st to be exact but pre-order is available now at any, any platform. And you said you have like a book tour you're going on, right? Which is... Planning now. I've got a three dates already. Um, Ohio, New York, in Jersey so far. And the publishing house just kind of does this for you and you just go where they organize for you? How does that go? Well, they have a publicist and so um, she'll, well, we kind of compile where we want to go and then I guess they wow. do their magic but then publishing houses, they don't always pay for you for travel. Yeah. So right now I'm researching like travel grants and also thinking about becoming members of, um, of illustration 
society. Oh, like the yeah, the yeah. society of yeah, illustrators. So I'm about, trying yeah, something about becoming a member. They of that. have so if you if you join that and then you go to New York, there's this beautiful uh, townhouse. It's I think is a maybe on the either the Upper East Side or the Upper West Side where it's like they're they're like clubhouse of the Society of Illustrators and they always have art hanging up in there and they do fun networking events. So well, you've got to check me, that send, out. Send me a link to yeah. there. I need to go check that out. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's very old New York feeling like it's in a brownstone or something in a neighborhood. Fancy, it's fancy. Right? <laughs> It'll be fun for you to get back to New York. Mm-hmm. Definitely. <laughs> get a chance. So, definitely. So I can't wait to go. I'll go again maybe by January just to, um, I want to take my, yeah. my daughter bouncing around for illustration, but I want to take my daughter and my family, my husband and my son to go see my work at the Met before it comes out February 3rd, I think. Okay. Yeah, but illustration, I'm really interested in, in just like, you know, if you know the artist um, Jacob Lawrence. Yeah, okay, totally. Right, and so like he he did amazing things with like fine arts and like anything that he needed to do, like as far as books, or he did everything. And so I want to kind of combine the fine arts and like, and like, uh, in, in print. And then also making work for children. Like I feel like yeah, something that can inspire them or something that could they can be in their room. Because why not have something beautiful in their room that's not a car or like a doll? Like why it gotta be that? You yeah, know, that's cool. I like I make doll prints too, but I mean I feel like children need nice works in their art. Yeah, need nice art in their room. Yeah, so. art as well. noticed- and inspiring. Like the times have changed. Like I went to Target yesterday, and like I was like my eyes seemed different like they had a whole section of inclusion and diversity books everything was just like different shades of browns and and tones of this and that color and um it's just beautiful to see how times have changed because now you don't have to look for that section right like now we are included in a whole books of people from all over the world right you know but it was a whole section just brown people i was like wow this is beautiful my daughter was right there looking at the books i got that one i got one i got that one and it's just great you know it's just Times have changed. It's a yeah. great time. I like, like when we were kids and maybe it would be like. You got that one, that one book, that one, one book, book way yeah. in the back. Or where's <laughs> that choice. doll? You got that one doll way yeah. in the back. Like it doesn't have to be like that now. Even I saw that Target had, um, <laughs> Target needed to pay me, but it even had like <laughs> the different um, tones of brown on, on like the Santa Claus coming out the chimney. Like oh, one little cool. doll coming yeah. out. But this is, this is yeah. different. The Nutcracker, even Nutcracker has shades the of brown. Nutcracker did? Yeah. So all types of things are different now. I love so it's that. a great yeah. time to like just. We've all been here, and it's just a matter of how historically people want to pretend that we haven't all been here, but we've all been here the yeah. whole time. Well, it must be really cool for you to see for your kids mm-hmm. to know that they're growing up having that definitely representation. Definitely. We have a long way to go, but I mean, it's a step. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, this has been wonderful. Um, thank you so much, Jennifer Mack Watkins. Mm-hmm. And then just to sum up, so you have a piece up at Sulphur Studios right now, and you have some work at the Met in yeah, New one, York. One, one work through in January. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then I'll post a link in our show liner notes um, to your website and to the children's book where people can pre-order it. Yep. Thank you. That sounds great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Here are some fun creative events coming up over the next week. On Thursday the 17th at 7 p.m., Erin Dunn, who I recently interviewed, the curator at the Jepson, is giving a workshop at Sulphur Studio called The Art of the Studio Visit. Um, The workshop is going to demystify what a curatorial studio visit entails. Um, Sue Carey Drummond is the current on-view resident artist at Sulphur Studio. And this Saturday at 2 p.m., she's giving a pop-up card workshop. It's free to attend materials provided and pre-registration is required. And also on Saturday the 19th, 9 p.m., House of Gunt is back for another jaw-dropping, mind-blowing drag experience like no other. The tickets are available at the Graveface website. Up next on WRUU, 
It's that old Savannah magic from 4 to 6 p.m. It's a variety show featuring Savannah history, radio theater, interviews, and music. You are listening to WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with a global soul.